Welcome to the Forrester Research Podcast. Hi, I'm Tom Pullman, Chief Marketing and Strategy Officer at Forrester. Welcome to today's podcast. Today's topic, untangling the customer experience. Joined by two gentlemen, both research directors here at Forrester, Harley Manning, whose team advisors customer experience professionals. Harley's also the co-author of the book, Outside In. And Stephen Powers, whose team does research for application software professionals in large IT shops. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So customer experience, one of the, uh, the hotter phrases out there these days. Harley, let's start with you. Do most businesses care about improving the customer experience, or should I say, do they care about the customer experience at all? Yeah, they, they care in that they, they realize that without customers, they have no revenue, can't pay their mortgages, et cetera. Uh, and, and nobody gets up in the morning and says, you know, I want to stick it to the customers. That's not the problem. The problem is that they don't actually do anything about it. They, they come in and they say, yeah, we love our customers, and then they go on to do marketing and logistics and other stuff. Right, so they kind of leave it there. Is part of the problem that's just too fluffy of a topic? I've heard people describe customer experiences, and it's kind of fluffy. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, well, it's fluffy if you don't define it. So one of the first things we do is define it. Um, yet, then you have to break it down into its component parts. So you know, we define customer experience as how customers perceive their interactions with a company, and then we break it down into a hierarchy of three parts. So great customer experiences have to be uh, those that meet needs, uh, that are easy, so easy to get your needs met, and are enjoyable, which is shorthand for emotionally engaging. So once you start breaking it down to that level, you can measure it, you can correlate it to loyalty metrics, and you can put a dollar value on it. Okay. So Steve, from where you sit, your research focuses more on the, the IT side of the house. Is customer experience understood in your world? Uh, what are some of the more common misconceptions about the phrase. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is the whole idea that customer experience or customer experience management can be equated into a technology or into a set of technologies. And Harley, you and I have, have uh, talked about amen. that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's easy to fall into that because you have a lot of vendors out there who are saying, hey, we're customer experience management vendors. And you, technologies can help manage customer experiences or help manage digital experiences. But they don't, they're not a substitute for all the other components of customer experience, which I know you guys say it's, it's strategy, it's what customer understanding, design, uh, culture, measurement, you know, governance. You're not going to have technology you know, substituting for all of that. It can augment some of it, but I don't, it, you know, it's not going to substitute you know, for that. Yeah, you know, that, that, is, that is so true. And it's, what's ironic is that the vendors, they do themselves a huge disservice when they say, I'm a customer experience vendor, because you can't buy a box of customer experience. They, the, the better ones, the ones that are sharper, come in and say, here's what we do that specifically improves this aspect of customer experience. And it, by being specific, they're compelling. Yeah, I, I like you know I like the idea that they need to be more specific. I mean, you know, customer experience technologies or digital ex experience technologies is an umbrella term, but it's not going to replace you know, the the acronym for you know web content management for e-commerce or something else. All of those are distinct pieces underneath that umbrella. Yeah, absolutely. So so there's no such thing as a be all end all. I'm a customer experience provider, but how would you guys break it down into its piece parts? I mean, what, what does that vendor ecosystem look like if there are four or five categories that are most important out there? Yeah, so we, when we look at customer experience, we tend to look at it from an overall customer experience that starts when the customer discovers that there's something that might meet their needs and then evaluates it, buys it, uh, accesses it, maybe they get support, they obviously they have to use the thing. And so uh, pretty much everything you do 
rolls up to customer experience in one way, shape, or form. Now, when it comes to actually managing customer experience in a disciplined fashion, there are a few sort of uh, uh, technology categories you think of right off the top of your head. One is the uh, vendors who help you gather customer feedback, sometimes referred to as voice of the customer vendors or enterprise feedback management vendors, or lately we've been calling them customer feedback management vendors. And these are guys who help you manage surveys, who help you analyze the results, um, who help you gather unstructured customer feedback, like from blogs or from uh, call transcripts or whatever, and then distill that down into some insight that can feed your business and tell you what you're doing right or wrong, uh, and then ideally trace it back to um, what it is that you have to improve or what you want to just encourage people to keep doing and reward them for. I, I think if you look at the amount of technologies that you could possibly fit under this umbrella, I mean, you could fill pages and pages. You know, we, oh, yeah. my team is, or, or our team and, and BT is uh, business technology is trying to create a map, a reference, you know, a mm-hmm. reference map for this, and it's it's enormous. It's enormous when you think about all of the things that can can possibly cover you know, that can possibly fall under customer experience. I mean, some of the things that my team has been covering, whether it's content management, delivery, or you know, looking at e-commerce, you know, a, a web analytics, recommendations, search. Uh, testing and optimization. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Okay. So it's a big hairball. Let's go back to kind of untangling this hairball a little bit. And let's go back to, you know, why or why do not, why don't businesses care about customer experience? So Harley, let's pretend you're in the, uh, that proverbial elevator ride with your CEO. How do you grab his or her attention? How, How do you get them to care about improving the customer experience? Besides just saying we need to meet their needs, make it easier, more enjoyable. Yeah, so I, I always I always go right to um, the the business benefit of customer experience and the specific business benefits, not just sort of general. Um, so one attention grabber is the fact that uh, in our research uh, we can prove that customer experience is the greatest driver of the three most commonly used loyalty metrics in business today. So uh, willingness to consider for another purchase, likelihood to recommend and likelihood to switch business to a competitor. There, there you're looking at an inverse correlation. So, you know, in plain language, if you want that next sale, if you want good word of mouth, and if you just plain flat out want to keep your customers, you'll deliver a great customer experience. Now, everything after that is just details. There's a lot of math behind it, but, you know, it really, it really comes down to that. You know, if you, if you um, and it's interesting because we've even done this research vis-a-vis uh, uh, price value perception. And for banks and for retailers, uh, counterintuitive as it seems. You know, we just got back a big chunk of data that that shows uh, you know, conclusively that in terms of driving those loyalty metrics, customer experience is much more important for banks and for retailers than price value perception, which okay. was I totally never would have guessed. So beyond those big three business metrics, it's about the details. So let, let's go back to some of those details. So let's say you you win over that CEO. And you have a, you're, you know, it's a medium-sized bank. Uh, they've gone out. They've appointed a chief customer czar. And after a year of big changes and millions spent, nothing happens. <laughs> Loyalty they is remaining the same. Sat is customer sat is flat. Where does the company begin to look at? Hey, why didn't we move the needle here? Because I'm hearing that a lot of companies, you know, they're not moving the needle on this. Yeah. So if 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 what they do is essentially say, hey, customers are now our priority, and they issue a bunch of directives, they're not going to move the needle. Um, they have to get down to specifics. So we, we see two different paths that companies that make measured improvements typically take. One is sort of the path of evolution. They don't fundamentally change the way they're doing business, but they map customer journeys. 
They look for places along those journeys that are broken, like a, a failure to be able to buy, you know, or a really rocky support process or whatever. And they start systematically tracking down the root causes and fixing them, and so eliminating the problems. And you can see increases in sales as a result of taking down barriers to buying. You can see great decrease in cost of service by taking away the problems that people are calling about in the first place. Those are super measurable. Uh, you know, for example, Sprint, uh, starting in late 2007, they had terrible customer experience. All that they did uh, was systematically identify why people were calling their call centers, eliminate those problems, Last year, Dan Hesse, their CEO, reported to his shareholders that they save $1.7 billion a year, $1.7 billion with a B, per year from averted call center costs. And that's just the evolution path. So if I'm talking to a company that's maybe hit a rock, maybe not had such a great experience, I typically urge them to do that. Got it. Now, you mentioned uh, you know, kind of a laundry list of projects and initiatives that can fall out of these things. Do companies have the tendency from where either of you sit to play whack-a-mole with customer experience? <laughs> like there's not an overarching approach, but it's just kind of project to project. We're running into that with our clients around mobility, for instance. Mm -hmm. Everyone yep. has a list of 50 different mobile projects, and I imagine the same holds true for customer experience. Yeah. If you, if you really want to transform, if you really want to revolutionize, then what you have to do is look at um, how you do business at a, at a fundamental way. And that's where you need to have a customer experience strategy that says this is the experience that we intend to deliver in line with our brand attributes. So, you know, if you're making a brand promise that says we're reliable, what does reliable feel like to your customers dealing with your goods or services? So you need a strategy. Uh, you then need to uh, have customer understanding to understand, you know, from the customer's perspective what that, that feeling of, say, reliability in this case is going to be, and then design. And I'm talking big D design like the Institute of Design in Stanford, you know, design thinking, which is a repeatable business uh, problem-solving process. And so you put things like that together. You have a plan. You know uh, what your customers really want, and then you design, you prototype, you iterate, you test. That's where you begin to do business differently, and you deliver innovative products or services uh, that, that meet customers' needs and make them want to do business with you. And from a technology standpoint, you know, you talk about whack-a-mole. I think a bit about it like the Connecticut Turnpike, you know, mm -hmm. they're always working on it. Yep. It's the same thing. You get done at one end and you start you know, <laughs> at the other end. The, the technology supporting some of these customer touch points always needs work, but it's a matter of being targeted, you know. Right now, mobile has all the heat, you know, and then, you know, it's the traditional web. But even things like call centers, you know, the, the call center agents need better tools to help them do, you know, chat, for example, and use, you know, use other other channels other than you know traditional telephone you know start chatting over the web uh, I was talking with one of our clients it was a, a major healthcare insurance provider and they got it into their head understandably that you know mobile is the hot area mobile first so mm -hmm. we're going to put a lot of effort into mobile and then they went back and started looking at some of their customer surveys and some of their logs and they realized that because their, their demographic of the people who was interacting with them tended to be a little bit older, they weren't going through the mobile channels as much. They were still dealing more through traditional, traditional web and through the phone uh, and through the call centers. So they didn't ignore mobile, but then they pulled back a little bit on all the work that they were doing on mobile and concentrated elsewhere. Got it. So, Steve, back to what Harley was saying about the need for an overarching customer experience strategy. What's the key to getting the IT organization to not just be the caboose on that, to be but to be more of an active part of of shaping it? Because IT is everywhere in our our clients these days. It, it's about not you know not being that black box at the end, and instead getting involved in the strategy up front, understanding where 
you know, what the customer experience team strategy is not only now, but where it's going to be in two and three and four years, because some of the technologies that you're sourcing now are going to be used in two and three and four years to support that customer experience. So it's about, you know, it's about developing that partnership. Um, it's about becoming the program manager of technology and helping the company source technologies, whether they're internal or whether it's you know in the cloud, whether you're you know sort whether you're doing the work yourself within IT or you are you know bringing an outside agency or or you know an implementation partner or somebody like that. IT should be involved you know in that so they're you know they're better positioned to support the customer experience. From where you guys sit, are there good relationships between IT and those outside of IT when it comes to customer experience strategy? I I would say. It, it, it's not good enough, and part of it, is the reason is because IT has been, you know, some IT departments that we speak to have been, you know, trapped in the more traditional way that IT works. You know, it's that it's those, you know, long, those long development life cycles as a, as opposed to being a little bit more agile uh, with some of the things that customer experience needs you to do. The, the IT people and the technologists need to be much more agile. It's like a second development life cycle. So hey, we may have this one life cycle for some of our traditional systems like ERP or email. But for web or mobile, we're going to work in a much more agile way so we can be a lot more responsive. Yeah, and you know, I, I can I can say this because I'm not an IT guy. I, I think uh, it's important to give the IT guys their their due. We've had a number of CIOs who've uh, brought us into companies because they see the need for focus on customer experience uh, in a systematic way, much more so than uh, their business partners. And and why is that? Well, a lot of times what they see is all these conflicting requests coming at them from different siloed business units, yeah. and and they see that in fact, unless these uh, uh, this customer journey is thought of as an end to end process that often crosses different business silos, uh, that it's going to fail. That it's not going to be optimized for any one silo. So it's literally a, a number of times a CIO who's saying to us, "I need help showing to the business why." What they're doing does not make sense for the business. It, Harley, when I was in IT, the worst thing, worst part of my job was when I was asked to prioritize between those conflicting requests. <laughs> I hated to do it. I didn't feel that that was something that I had the knowledge yeah. to do. I wanted somebody else to pri prioritize for me or work with me to prioritize, and then my team could follow follow those priorities. So let's build off two of those points you guys just made. One is around this notion of silos and the complexity of business. So, um, you know, part of the, the the issue I'm seeing, guys, with with customer experience is there are so many things that touch the customer, right? Oh, there yeah. are so many different channels. So from where you all sit, you know, you, whether it's web, mobile, call centers, sales reps, support personnel, you name it, which ones need the most attention? Which ones are the most broken right now in any industries that you guys have, have helped clients in? Oh, God. I mean, it, it, it varies so much from company to company. The, the only thing I can say that would be meaningful is that there are certain things that we see that tend to be broken uh, more places than not. Uh, for, and and there, some of them are just real pedestrian, boring stuff. For instance, bills. Uh, almost everybody presents a bill at some point. And uh, almost every billing process I've seen has got room for improvement. And some of them are just fundamentally broken. We talk to... Um, so what, what, Harley, what's your top three of those, those most broken? So billing is one. I mean, billing, billing is a uh, is a big one. Um, uh, uh, la lack of first call resolution in the call center is another one because often what's happening is that the problem isn't very well understood. Um, so you can always look to your call center for some insight into what's going wrong in your business. 
What would I say be the third one? I don't, I don't know. I mean, those. But what about websites? I'm just curious. I mean, it's such a you would think a mature discipline right now. Website design. And well, see, this is this is what I what I mean about it. Really depending. I mean, some companies just have really incredible websites, and they just you know, for instance, if you uh, uh, use the Fidelity website, um, you know, does it have room for improvement? Yeah, it does. But you know. Uh, I have multiple accounts with Fidelity, and I'm able to do all kinds of stuff just trivially that you know takes moments, and it's great. I wish I could say that about some of the other financial services institutions that I have relationships with. You know, some there's one in particular that I won't name because, in general, I like them, but their website just needs an overhaul because uh, it takes multiple redundant steps to do stuff, and I can just feel the brain of the web designer. You know, he was thinking, "Oh, I got to make sure that the user is sure that they're doing the right thing." And <laughs> I'm going, "Why are you asking me this for the third time? Did I do something wrong? This can't be right." You know, so I'm getting less and less certain and confident, and more and more shaky as I'm going along. Whereas I'm sure the designer thought that he was holding my hand and reassuring me. So yeah, some you know, it, it's just it's totally different you know the difference between a great website and an awful website though it makes a huge difference in terms of what you're spending on customer service costs that's for darn sure and i know that sometimes even when the customer experience on the website you know may appear okay behind the scenes it's it's a real nightmare to maintain so that's what i tend to see a lot of or i tend to see a lot of the mobile websites are being managed completely separately from the traditional websites so there's problems with consistency there's problems with reusing content and things like that so those need overhauls so it's funny steve you mentioned this notion of behind the scenes and i know you meant in the context of maintaining a, a, a beast of a website but Part of the challenge with customer experience and the need to untangle it, guys, my understanding is, let's say I'm that CEO in the elevator. Mm -hmm. Too many times that CEO is just thinking of customer experience as a better, friendlier, nicer touch in the channel, right? But as I understand your book, Outside In, Harley, it spends a lot of time on a a bigger ecosystem behind just the the, the touch point with the clients. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. So um, if you you just diagram a customer journey as they – become aware of you and go through the evaluation process, et cetera. And then you look at what is it that they touched, either you know, your, your people, your partners, your websites, your IVR system, your call center agents, whatever. And then you start drawing lines straight down, looking at what are behind all of those people. You know? So behind that website is a person who designed that. There's a content management system. There are people who put the content in. You know, behind the call center, there's uh, some kind of a system that's helping the agent manage the relationship, some kind of a CRM system, et cetera. And you just keep dr- drawing down and down and down to what's behind all of those customer touches. It's like an iceberg. You know, the, the part that the customer sees is a tiny fraction of all the things that go into that interaction. And so something as simple as a legal policy, you know, one of the examples in the book was something that happened at Charter where there was uh, uh, there, you know, people would buy, small business customers would buy the software to get installed on uh, the routers that they owned. And the Charter tech would show up and the installation would fail. And long story really short, the reason was because there was a legal policy that prohibited the charter tech from touching the client-owned hardware. All, all they had to do was change the setting on the hardware. Now, did the, did the lawyer know that this policy was preventing the customers from getting the product they bought? They had no idea. They thought they were protecting charter for, from liability. So once they did an ecosystem map and figured this out, the customer experience team at Charter, they went to the lawyers, they explained this to them, they said, ah, we never thought that this is what we were doing, we had no idea, and they ripped up the policy. So that's the kind of thing that you have to look for. You know, what is it, because very often it's, you know, we, we focus on that, that thing that's touching the customer, but it's not that at all. It's the thing behind 
whatever's touching the customer or person or some kind of a system. Policies, processes, anti-customer policies uh, that so oh, many companies yeah. have. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you want to, so for instance, you know, we've seen a number of companies that have, have uh, revamped their call center. American Express is a great example. And it wasn't a simple fix. I mean, they literally went in and they changed the nature of what a uh, customer care agent was. It wasn't a phone agent. It's a customer care professional. And they changed the nature of how they compensate them, how they goal them, uh, the nature of how they train them. They, they spend the bulk of their time training them in active listening. And the payoff that they get is not only do they have uh, – these uh, care agents who last longer and therefore become more expert because the mm. job is much something that they, they want to do. But also, through the act of listening, they'll hear people say, oh, yeah, I need X, Y, Z, that may be something that they could get with as a benefit of their Amex card. But they just don't know it because, I mean, you think about your credit card these days, how many benefits come with it, right? And so they hear this and they suggest, well, do you know that you could do this with your Amex card? People respond really well to that. It raises their satisfaction with the call, and then guess what? It makes them want to use their Amex card more. That story very nicely demonstrates why you can't confuse customer experience man you know customer experience technologies with customer experience management. Exactly. You know, in this case, uh, things like human resources policies for those uh, care agents made all the difference in the world. Do you think that your HR department, who's dealing with your employees and maybe never seeing a customer, do you think that they're as aware as they could be of how what they do impacts the customer? I think not. So it's a big, big iceberg. You, uh, I think, nicely put it, Harley. Um, a lot of stuff beneath the waterline that affects the customer that unbeknownst to them, right? Do, do, our, do companies need a, um, someone to own the iceberg, so a chief customer czar or a customer experience grand poobah of some sort? I mean, can they make progress by committee here, or do you need accountability and ownership? Well, you know, so we've done a lot of research on chief customer officers, which is an emerging role, and uh, it's it's really exciting. But I would tell you that um, there are certain preconditions for success. So if you wake up one morning and say, we need to start working on customer experience, let's appoint a chief customer officer, you probably are sending that person on a suicide mission. You have to make sure that uh, the culture is ready for that person. You have to make sure that the other executives are ready to support that person. You have to make sure that they have uh, clearly delineated job responsibilities and their peers understand those. So a number of other success factors. So uh, we typically say, don't start with the chief customer officer. Uh, mature to the point where you can use one effectively. Now, the implication to your question, though, there is another piece to that briefly. Um, somebody has to be in charge of customer experience, and specifically, people have to be assigned responsibilities. That doesn't necessarily mean there's one executive that dictates to everybody, but it just simply means that uh, whatever aspect of customer experience touches you in your job, you need a goal about that. Uh, so you distribute these responsibilities. So by committee your, can work. Well, it's just it's 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 not even so much by committee. It's literally down to the level of the customer facing employees and the people behind the scenes. I'll give you I'll give you one example. A lot of companies we've seen have instituted the uh, policy of anytime somebody submits a proposal for a project, it has to include a paragraph that describes the impact of that project on the customer. Now, what that does is it forces everybody who's proposing a project to stop and consider whether what they're doing actually does have an impact on the customer, which many of them don't, especially in the behind-the-scenes stuff, whether it's tech or HR or legal or finance or whatever. 
And so then what happens is they, so they consider it and then it goes up and then there's a review process, which could be by a committee, you know, but somebody, mm-hmm. some responsible parties who look at it and go, hey, wait a minute, this is going to be a bad impact. This project is just not going to fly or we're going to have to figure out some way to manage this impact. Okay, so you can bubble it up from the grassroots and then have people uh, in executive positions kind of steer and make the prioritization yeah, calls. Yeah, you can, you can distribute it. You can distribute it over the organization. And typically, at mat- companies that are more mature about customer experience management, they have distributed it at multiple levels. For example, at FedEx, there's a customer experience steering committee that's chaired by their chairman and CEO and founder. And once a month, they look at all the customer experience projects going through the company and make sure that they're on track. But then a couple levels down, there's a group that reports into their senior vice president of marketing that is very hands-on and, and looks at problems that occur when a customer journey transitions from one part of the business to the next, including from the business to a partner or, or back, you know, like, for instance, a retailer that would pass them shipping information. And they're doing very hands-on project work. So there's, a, there's an example of two tiers right okay. there. Good. Guys, uh, last question for each of you. I'd love for each of you to weigh in. So, And that's about... Um, helping people listening to this podcast get started. So, Harley, you teamed up on a recent book on this topic called Outside In. Uh, in that book, I was struck by many things, but one that jumped out at me was that businesses should avoid spending money on customer experience improvements that don't matter. Is that a common challenge, figuring out what, what not to do? And I guess to both of you, how do businesses select the right customer experience issues to start with, those that matter most? From my standpoint, it's it's partnering with either that chief customer experience officer or with that committee who is setting the prioritizations and gaining that customer understanding. I was talking with one client, and they said this was just talking about the web channel, but I think you can extrapolate this to a greater um, to to all to other channels as well. We don't make any change now to our website with understanding first how it's going to be measured, and that's really powerful because in the past. You'd put all these changes through the website, and then later on you'd figure out how you're going to measure it. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense. You've got to f- figure out what the impact is going to be first and then understand how, you know, whether or not that that's a, a, you know, a, a, an investment that you should continue to make. So I think it's a, matter of, it's a matter of partnering with the people, the person or the people who are going to prioritize. I think it's understanding what the strategy is going to be. Um, and it's it's you know ultimately you know not not overbuying the technology you know leveraging the techno- some of the technology you already have and then you know augmenting it with with new technology. Okay, so so Harley, what about you? This this notion of figuring out what not to do and where to start those that matter most. It, it, it matters hugely, and frankly, the biggest failing that we see people who uh, they they get the customer experience is important, but then they they think that well it's going to be obvious to everybody. And so what they fail to do is they fail to make the business case for the projects that they want to do. And so what I would urge you is that if you're listening to this and you're passionate about customer experience, go look at how uh, winning business cases are made in your company. What is it that matters? Is it revenue more? Is it cost savings more? Is it some mixture, net present value, ROI? Whatever your company does, learn how to do that and start looking at what benefits will my project produce? You can estimate them. What will it cost? And then show up with a proposal that estimates the ROI. And then, as Stephen said, measure. Measure the impact of what you did and feed that model so that you have better models going forward. Unless you get in the habit of showing up with uh, proposals for projects that show a business benefit, and I mean something with dollars or pounds or euros associated with it, unless you get in the habit of doing that, uh, then you are not going to build momentum for customer experience program long term. 
because you're going to be going up against people for projects like building a new retail location or a new call center or whatever, and you can bet that they will have done that business case. So they'll show up with an ROI figure, and you'll show up with a cost figure. We know which one wins that. We, every that time. Every time. All right. So start with the end state and make sure it's measurable. Absolutely. Guys, really appreciate your time today. So thanks for uh, joining us. And to all of those uh, of you out there, thanks for listening. I'm Tom Pullman. This has been a Forrester Research Podcast. For more information on how we can help you transform customer experience, go to forrester.com slash customer experience.